1: fitting into their schedule, and, of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring.
0: My friend told me the other day she'd had two boob jobs, one when she was younger and didn't have much money, and the second when she could afford the rest. And I said, Did you have the left one done when you were 18 and the right one done when you were 25? Like you were saving up. And we laughed for about 25 minutes at the idea of that. Just like, I can just afford one. I'll have this one a D, this one will be an A until I've saved.
2: (laughs) I'm a feminist. But when Deborah showed me a picture of her in a swanky dress the other day, I said, oh, Debs, you look just like a trophy wife. (laughs) And that was me complimenting her. I'm a feminist, but I said,
0: thank you. (laughs) (laughs) That did happen. That did. That happened two nights ago when Alice and I got together to plan the show. I was showing her a picture of some bit of telly I'd done where they'd done my hair and makeup. I, of course, was showing her to criticize myself and going, I'm not sure about this. And she went, No, you look beautiful. You look like a trophy wife.
2: <laughs> and I went, Really? Do you mean it? I said, You look like property. <laughs> <laughs> like, <you know. laughs> I'm a feminist, but when these hot days happen, I still get shy about eating ice lollies in public. Um, because I like to eat very quickly <laughs> and make eye contact with people.
3: <laughs>
2: and then in my shyness I try to eat it quicker. Which then just looks more sexual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like any ice cream, doesn't matter. Do you find ice lollies inherently phallic? Mate, yes. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't really thought of that before. Everyone right. even yeah. like even the non you know. You know, Cornettos, you mm-hmm. go to town on that. <laughs> you know, you do. I hadn't really thought of it that it's
0: way. It's got a little But center. I don't go, like, over a Cornetto. You look, you can do, yes. I lick it like a, in a ladylike fashion. I'm a feminist, but I lick a Cornetto like a lady. I'm so sorry.
2: Yeah, but th- I'm not talking heteronormative. I mean, you go to a town on a Cornetto it looks you know oh that's a good point it is especially because it's got like a flavorful centre you know
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's
2: the best
0: bit <laughs> I am so sorry that was so heteronormative of me no I, no
2: no it's fine I, and it s- takes me ages on a Cornetto you know compared to <laughs> <laughs> well a Cornetto is a
0: more sensitive yeah, ice it is, cream yeah you know, it's not some kind of popsicle, easy win, just
2: put it in. May, you give me a Milky Moo, it's gone in free goals. It's just. <laughs> do you know? <laughs> that's a
0: really unfortunate name for an ice cream, I realise now. A I Milky think it's Moo. called Milky Moo, isn't it?
2: Yeah? Yeah. Milk. yeah. What, milk? Milk. A milk? A mini milk! Oh, sorry, that's just yeah. my pet name for a mini milk. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been out of the house in a very long time milky woo wow
0: wow (laughs) I'm a feminist but somebody was asking me who's just been on a first date was asking me what kind of second date can I do because the second date is normally first date you tell each other about each other second date you go to the movie so then you've got something to talk about you talk about the movie what did you think of the movie Mm. so you've got some stimulus for the second date and uh They said, well, no, movies are open at the moment. You know, nothing's open. It's really tricky to know what to do on a second date. And I said, I get so many men buying tickets for The Guilty Feminist as a second date to impress women. (laughs) It's true. Uh, Because they think, oh, my God, this is going to so impress them because I'm a feminist. And I'm bringing you to a feminist show. And it's funny. And it gives us something to talk about afterwards. And I can talk about what a feminist I am. I genuinely believe they think that will up the activity from the third date to the second date um, and uh, in the end I might have said I've got more men laid in London than any woman I know that's uh, possible any, anybody here on a second or third date just cheer I, you're lying <laughs> nobody here on a date that's never happened before is it because it's an afternoon thing I don't know is no one here on a date
2: Come no. here, there's a pandemic. No one's dating. Oh, that's you know? true.
0: It's a lot of oh, commitments.
2: That's true. That's true, because you can't really hook up very much after dates anymore. I know someone that broke her social bubble for a man that wouldn't cuddle her after sex. Wow. And then she had to message him the next day saying, Uh, please message me if you <laughs> catch Corona. <laughs> Not because she wanted him to, just because she broke her social bubble, but, mm, you know. Yeah, and then she, did, she wouldn't know if he was showing symptoms. Yeah, yeah. Showing symptoms of being a twat. I mean, absolutely. A cuddle is the best bit. Like, what a selfish prick. Couldn't believe it. What a selfish milky moo. Yes, that's... <laughs> what a conetto. I wouldn't touch his milky moo, I'll tell you that after. It would stay frozen. Um... <laughs> okay, I'm a feminist, but over the lockdown, I've hosted a thing called co-video parties, uh, where I tweet along to old films uh, with other people. On watching Matilda, I've come to realise that although she's a horrific child abuser, uh, Miss Trunchbull works amazing looks and is my style inspiration. <laughs> 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 Live from the New Normal Festival in
0: London, the Spontaneian Shop. presents the Girls of with me, Deborah Francis White. Yes, co-host Alison Spittle. And our very special guest, Alexander Wilson, talking about justice. Hello, hello, hello. We cannot tell you how good it feels to be back. I'm Deborah Francis White, this is Alison Spittle. Um it's truly amazing. I feel like crying to see so many people looking in my direction at the same time. And also, I'm like, I'm not in my flat. And uh, there's so many weird things that are going on here right now that I'm not quite sure it's happening. It's possible I took a nap and uh, I've dreamed of this. Thanks so much for so many of you coming out. I imagined it was going to be sort of like, I didn't know what to imagine, but I thought it was just basically going to be like a park. And uh, with like sort of 50 people all on rugs sitting and looking in different directions. And it was going to be awful. And this is just glorious. Look how beautiful this is. I mean, I still said yes to it because I was desperate to leave the house. But I, I, this is actually lovely. This is like a proper audience. Thank you so much for coming out. Isn't it nice? Um, uh, so, are we ready to start the show? Uh, thank you so much for coming out. I'm now going
2: to sit down and uh, welcome...
0: The Incredible Alison Spittle!
2: Oh, I'm getting deja vu or something. It's like I've gone to a past life progression uh, session, do you know? And, like, you know, you lie on the couch and you're like, I was a king once. Um, <laughs> this is, Are I'm, you getting that, but for I was a stand-up comedian in previous life? Genuinely, yeah, this is weird, mate. Even the way it feels on my hand. Uh, <laughs> th- actually, this is getting a bit that- sexual. Uh, <laughs> But it is, to be honest. Yeah, I've put on makeup and everything for it. I mean, you know, I haven't had it in a long time. Uh, so you might as well put in the effort. You know? I'm talking about podcasting. Uh, but I think for comedians, yeah. sometimes stand-up comedy is more sexual than sex. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I mean, because sex can be done sort of... Sex is great, but have you ever gigged to a stag party and not been violently killed? LAUGHTER <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> What's
0: your best uh, stand-up comedy memory? Do you have a sort of memory where you felt like, oh, I'm totally flying here?
2: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So what happened back in the day, because uh, like, I'm a lady that is uh, fat, right? And what people used to think was my kryptonite was insinuating that they were sexually attracted to me from the audience, so I remember once I had a man miming how he was going to have sex with me, and then I accused him of... Uh, well, actually, I can't say it on this podcast, but... I you got can, the...
0: you can. We can edit it out. Just tell us accused... We won't tell anyone. Can everyone just not tweet what Alison's going to say? Um... It's true. We do say a lot of stuff we would never put out on the podcast, so strap in.
2: <laughs> so basically, like, everyone was sitting down, and he had stood up. He was very drunk. It was at a music festival, it was going as well as you think it would. And he stood up and he was like mime and he was like, oh, I'm going to have sex with you. And he was doing the movements. He thought it uh, looked good, but mm-hmm, no, did not. <laughs> you know, I'd be surprised if he's ever uh, made a woman come. Uh, <laughs> look, I was at my lowest and I was like, you want to do that to a kid? And then I got people to chant the word pedo at him until he left. <laughs> so, Is that your Stand-up yeah. memory. The, <laughs> wow. Because the funniest thing was just watching people pass by the tent and going, why are, like, 400 people chanting pedo? Oh, <laughs> like, my God. Alison. An incredible new band.
3: <laughs> wow. Yeah. You
2: are. Wow. That,
0: that's <laughs> not what I thought you were going to say at all. What, what did you I think? S- I don't know, but I see why you wanted to censor it.
2: I know. <laughs> oh, it could be like, oh, I, I did the... Where is that great gig we did last year that Adele played at that's really famous in Britain? The great gig we did where Adele played. She wasn't at it but she played that venue. <laughs> La-
0: latitude.
2: No, no, it's the big the big building. Royal, yes, there we go. Oh, the Royal Albert Hall. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that could, is a good gig.
0: I could I'd, have I'd said, agree.
2: you know, I've done the Royal Albert Hall or I got 400 people at Shampito. Yeah, right, and, you sure. Know. That's very much the psyche of a stand-up comic, to be fair. <laughs>
0: My worst yeah. story like that is I was in Australia, I was in Melbourne, and there's a club called the Highland Club that happens at the Melbourne Comedy Festival, and it, it opens at 1 a.m., And they put the headliner on first because if they put the headliner on last, no one would watch them because everyone's too drunk. So it's the only gig in the world that I know of where the headliner has to go on first so that the audience can recognise them. (laughs) And uh, so I was hosting it. I was emceeing it. So it was my job to get the people in the room to uh, form what we in the business call an audience Uh, because they were all just a sort of riot of drunks. And uh, just some you know, loud Aussie guy, and I say this with love, as I am also Australian, just shouted, um, do jokes about periods and childbirth. I assume, because he had correctly identified that I am a woman. (laughs) And he thought those were the two proper subjects for a woman to be discussing on stage. And I reached for, again, 1am, and I'm not ashamed because it was the right thing to do. But, you know, listen... Did you in make it, them shout pedo? No, I didn't. Okay. But in all of your jobs, there'll be moments where you go, this is the right thing to do. I'm not ashamed of it because it's the right thing to do, but nor am I proud of it. But when he shouted, do jokes about periods and childbirth, I said, just because I've got a cunt and you are one doesn't mean I have to do jokes about them. <laughs> This is not what anyone thought it would be at 2 o'clock. We thought this would be a charming tea-time show, but I'm... we've already said pedo and the C-word.
2: Yeah, I know. that sounds like a sitcom. Pedo and the C-word. You know? <laughs> Coming to you on Adult Swim. Like... LAUGHTER <laughs>
0: We're a bit overexcited because we've been allowed out of our houses. I know. This um... is not normally... When I say we normally, you know, we're a little bit more unfettered in real life than we are on the podcast, that is true, but Mm. it's not as true as it is today. Yes. Um, This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White, with me is Alison Spittle, and today we're talking about justice. (laughs) (laughs) So on the subject of justice, do you feel, as a feminist,
2: your Mm -hmm. job is
0: to fight for justice?
2: Oh, all the time, just because I just feel very angry, you know, (laughs) generally. Have you always been angry about
0: injustice, or is this something that grew on you as you got older?
2: No, um, I'm going to try and think of the first time I was angry. I think children have an enormous
0: sense of injustice, not usually... I mean, this generation of children have an enormous sense of injustice for the world. Mm. But when I was a child, we were not told about the world.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: We just didn't have access to any information. Uh, So we were just very angry about things like she got four sweets and I only got three sweets. Yeah. Or it wasn't fair because you know you said we couldn't do that then she did it and then nothing happened to her and then that time three months ago when I did that you got angry with me Mm. blah 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 do you remember that as a child yeah like how infuriated you would be by unfairness
2: yeah children actually don't mind strictness they can't bear unfairness I remember my friend Julie kicked me out of our girl band um (laughs) the glitter babes right that's what we were called the glitter babes the glitter babes yeah because we liked glitter, and we were nine years old. <laughs> Excellent. No, <laughs> and good, we liked good, use of, good
0: use of the term babe, if anything.
2: Well, sugar babes were big at the time, and uh, we didn't want to copy them outright, so we went for glitter. And, uh, well uh, done,
0: Touching the, legi- the legal nightmare that would have been for you. I in know. In the playground when the sugar babes heard that you were nicking their act. So good, good that, was, that was strong work.
2: Yeah, but like we were Irish, so we could have been like calling ourselves like the provisional sugar babes <laughs> or <laughs> the real sugar babes. You need to know more about the IRA, guys. <laughs> if, <laughs> if any of my jokes are going to work. <laughs> <we're gonna laughs> so like, yeah, I got kicked out of the band, the Glitter Babes, And uh, we were supposed to audition for a TV talent show. And uh, I went up on my own. I decided I had written the letter, I'll go up, representing the Glitter Babes. Oh, god It had disbanded and uh i didn't get on the telly uh,
0: <laughs> so is this like you know on the x factor where sometimes a band goes on and then they just go actually we just want you susan yeah is there any way in which you would ditch your twin sister and the best friend you've had since you're five years old and then she goes oh
2: it'd be a really difficult yes yes i would yeah <laughs> yeah it a bit like that i did that process before the tv bit i was like they'll want to get rid of them uh, so I'll did you go, go
0: and audition for The
2: X Factor? Well, uh, it was like called Starstream. That's what it was called. It was a kids' TV show. Aww. And uh, I sang I'm Like a Bird by Nelly Furtado. <laughs> I thought I gave it the gravitas that it deserved. But nah, nah, they weren't <laughs> did into you that. you do a
0: bit of it for us now? Just do you really? Yeah. would well,
2: you want to hear the song that we wrote together? Oh, yes, kid? please. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay, Okay. here's the exclusive. <coughs> so it High is high low is low this is where i like to go come with me and you'll see where i like to be baby 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 oh, oh. <laughs> that was- I didn't think I'd be doing this. Like, <laughs> that was wow. it. Wow. Yeah, and the chorus was just us going, uh-huh, yeah, mm, oh. <laughs> that was it. Do you know what?
0: It's not worse than anything Stock Aitken and Waterman did in I the know. 80s, to be <laughs> I know, thank you. I feel like you've missed your calling almost. Luckily, you're so funny, it's all right. And also, you can have a longer career in comedy than you can in pop.
2: Well, I was playing the long game and I was just waiting for this opportunity to come up and uh, I'm available, guys. Uh, okay, good. Still not. Ah, too late, but uh, it is too late for the glitter babes. Julie, you can get stuffed. Uh, <laughs> well, dead to we're me. going to talk more about justice
0: later when our yes. guest comes on, and that will be a sort of more serious form of feminist justice. Uh, it won't all be about the fact that I also got. What's your to... justice?
2: Uh, I was talking all about my girl band, and I didn't yeah. let you talk. I'm sorry.
0: Well, have you ever been in a girl band? I know I was wanted to audition for the. Um, there was a, like a girl band in school dance competition. Miss Power could have been named by Charles Dickens who was our teacher I remember said there would be an interschool dancing competition and so I did jazz ballet after school so I was like yeah it was just to sort of writhe inappropriately to pop music but I was right down for that and I remember the day she walked around the class and she said Raj, today we're going to choose the girls for the interschool dancing competition all the blonde girls stand up and all the blondes stood up And she went, right, go and stand over there by the wall. And then she went down picking the girls she thought were the prettiest. You, 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 and Janine Henney. Now, Janine Henney had brown hair, but she was an awesome dancer and she had trophies to prove it. And it was that day that I realized that if you were brunette, you needed a talent. (laughs) That hair color was not going to see you through. I mean, this story would be incredibly racist except the whole class was white because it was sort of, you know, this beach town in Australia where, you know, it was just... It was an extremely white area. Uh, But she would not have cared. She would not have cared. She herself was brunette. And so this was a piece of self-loathing that somehow blondes were better. And I remember at seven thinking, how old would I be before I'm allowed to dye my hair blonde? Because I just thought, well, this is clearly where it's at. Um, So this piece of injustice... uh, I wasn't really aware at the time. It was unfair. I just thought... I'd been born with the wrong hair, you know. I thought, well, you know, clearly God has not blessed me. But one time I told this story as part of a wider storytelling show and I saw someone in the audience, everyone was laughing and I saw someone in the audience just looking horrified and I looked further and I went, are you Jo Burnett? And she nodded. And this was a school friend of mine who hadn't told me she was coming to the show, I hadn't seen her in years, she just turned up. And I went, you got picked for that interschool dancing competition, didn't you? And she went, yes, I'm so sorry.
3: <laughs> and
0: afterwards we went for a drink. This is true. Uh, we went for a drink and um, I said, do you remember all the blonde girls stand up? And she said, I have no memory of her saying that. And her husband said, of course she didn't because that's the bit that you edit out if you're in the privileged group. And of course there would be other things I don't remember. I don't remember all the white people step forward, but clearly that's happened a million times in my life but I don't remember that part. I just remember how hard it was for me to get beyond this or get beyond that. With injustice, I think it's always good to A, check, is this just normal to me or is this unjust? And secondly, when are you in the group that is just asked to step forward? And there were blonde girls who probably felt devastated because they were lined up against a wall and then chosen as not pretty enough. Mm. like I was edited out before but I didn't make the blonde edit so I don't, my looks were never even um, considered so do you see what I mean like there's so many different ways and I'm sure then in the bus of the girls that were chosen there was bullying and there was this one's better dance than this one and you know but I never got as far as the bus don't go on about it <laughs> I never got as far as the bus Are you ready for some stand-up comedy? Woo! Then please welcome to the mic, the
2: incredible Alison Spittles! Yeah. Yeah. Hello! Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. I'm going to talk to you about something that I wrote at the start of the year about my hopes for 2020. For <laughs> <laughs> be apt, okay? <laughs> so... so um, <clears throat> right new year new me and all that jazz I've stopped beating myself up about how much I weigh at the start of the year and instead I beat myself up about how happy I am at the start of the year I check in with myself like a passive aggressive woman that I went to secondary school with (laughs) yeah but are you really happy (laughs) Alison yes I am Julie shut up (laughs) I planned this new year's eve properly I was flying back to London early to a London friend's house warming right she was going to prepare a buffet. I was sold. I've never been to a buffet in someone's house that didn't have a corpse at it. Uh, <laughs> and I was very excited. <laughs> I'm very excited. Uh, a wonderful London glamour life, a cosmopolitan buffet. And maybe, just maybe, there would be fireworks. When I lived in Dublin, I heard fireworks. I've ran away from fireworks while young men threw fireworks at me when I walked the wrong way from Lidl. But I've never seen fireworks uh, from my own will. As the plane landed, I got a text and a picture of unopened moving boxes. My friend is cancelling the party. There is no London glamour buffet for me. I spent the evening dragging my so heavy, it warranted an airline sticker suitcase up several flights of stairs, hearing New Year's Eve parties through front doors of my neighbor's flats, and congratulating myself for being able to recognize the music. I'm still with it. I know what Dance Monkey is. Who sang it? I've no idea. Um, I've realized I've come to the age where I discover chart music now through wedding discos. I've reached that stage. I live in a high-rise flat and I can see the BT tower from my bedroom slash dining room slash kitchen. <laughs> uh, and if I squint hard enough, I can see the London Eye. There's a roundup of the 2010s on a TV and it shows a terrorist attack that, and literal wars that have kept me up at night at a time of anxiety. But with time, I've forgotten. There's just too much news to remember. It feels like pop music. At some point, you give up keeping up. And then you start to wonder if Billie Eilish is a pop star or involved in a military coup. (laughs) Why not both? Uh, (laughs) It felt wonderfully perverse scrolling through Twitter as people listed off their achievements for the year and even worse, their achievements for the decade. And I was eating a pot noodle and in my pyjamas at half eleven on New Year's Eve. My hand twitched, right, and pressed on the taxi app and I realised that I could get to Primrose Hill within 15 minutes and see all of the London skyline. Uh, for the new year I thought no one else would have ever thought of this idea <laughs> <laughs> and I was very clever <laughs> without thinking I put on a hat and a coat over my pyjamas and I clicked confirm Right. within three minutes I was in a car my taxi driver was the first person I'd spoken to in hours he told me that the surcharge would be crazy after midnight and that he's on until 5am and he likes to read books in the new year and he asked me what I wanted for the new year and I fell silent What do I want? To be more happy? And how do I achieve that? Is there a tea that I can buy off Instagram for that? (laughs) I found it easier to lie and say that I wanted to take up jogging. As the clock hit five to 12, I hopped out of the car and ran towards the hill. Drunk pals were dragging drunker pals like they were in a war. Dads, (laughs) Dads were jogging with small children on their shoulders, bobbing like boys in a choppy sea. And we all wanted to see the same thing. We're all running out of time. I ran through the gates and the unfamiliar feeling of lactic acid hitting my calves. <laughs> and my chest tightened. Oh, the cold air is burning my throat. The park was packed and I could see that the outline of thousands of heads, all with the same idea as me. The crowd got louder. They were counting down, but I couldn't make out the numbers. They got louder and louder and the space got tighter. And people, I oh know, <laughs> I'm never going to feel that again. Um, <laughs> as people heaved forward for a peek at the new year, I heard a massive cheer but all i could see was the back of a couple shifting the face off each other right (laughs) that's kissing with tongue all i could hear was a lone drunk woman shouting sharon behind me (laughs) and then it started the shifting on mass and it just began to sound like a rainforest (laughs) i felt like i was on underage disco all over again I felt my chest tighten. The air tasted different, it was gunpowdery, and my hand brushed my pocket where I normally keep my inhaler. Oh, this coat has no pockets. I'm going to die because I tried to have a good time on New Year's Eve. (laughs) But most of all, I'm going to die because the patriarchy refuses to put pockets on women's clothing. (laughs) (laughs) I started to laugh, and I laughed harder, and somehow it helped me gulp in more air. The fireworks stopped and people started moving away from the hill. I went with the flow of people and I was just laughing harder and harder. I had to step on a curb and I looked up and I stopped. I could see the full London skyline. Now There was no fireworks, that was over a long time ago. But it was all covered in a haze. And it was like London was the stage for an Enya concert. (laughs) It was beautiful. I got my breath back and I stood still and I took it all in. And I was glad I tried. This year, I'm going to try more and also take up jogging, (laughs) as my calves are still not right, (laughs) okay. Thank you so much, guys, have a lovely day. Please welcome to the stage, Deborah Francis White.
0: So I'm going to tell you a little bit about my time in, in lockdown because lockdown's alleviated a little bit. We know that because we're outside in a garden. That's what we do now. We go to our friends' houses who have gardens or, in my case, like a tiny terrace, and we sit two metres away from each other. It's the same as before except that I'm still not wearing trousers. Um, I'm just turning up going... Uh, they, listen, they're used to seeing me from here up. I just say, don't look down below. Um, LAUGHTER First Thursday after serious lockdown alleviated at eight o'clock, I came out onto the street to applaud my waxing team. Um, where were you? I assumed more of us would be out. Um, my waxer did come around because you're not allowed to go out to a uh, salon yet, uh, but she's coming to the house. And it was, she's Australian, and it was like a really, it was a real thing. I mean, she was very happy to be back at work, but it was a bit like visiting a mechanic, you know, where they just kind of look under the hood and go, let's see what we're dealing with here oh let's have a look I've seen some I'll tell you I've seen some egregious things this week uh back out back out on the horse and I mean my god I've seen some egregious things and I just need to prepare myself before I have a good look uh for what what has been happening down there now the first thing I need to ask you is have you touched the area yourself at all and I was like no I haven't I've just absolutely let it go wild I haven't done any shaving I've done no plucking I've done no homework And so she said oh thank you so much Thank you so much. You wouldn't believe the nightmares I've seen on these home jobs. People should not be allowed to do this themselves. There should be some kind of law in place where it needs to be done by a professional. You know, you wouldn't just go taking your own tonsils out, would you? And yet... (laughs) Women have been down there. They've been taking razors under, where they can't even see, you know? And I'm I'm now have, I'm stuck in this situation. I'm having to fix up the messes. And uh, she said, what I want to hear is you've done nothing. You've touched nothing. You've trimmed nothing. You've been down. I said, look, honestly, I mean, what's the point? You know, we're in lockdown. I don't know what the point is normally, to be honest. It's not like I turn up showing it to anyone. It's just a feeling. I don't know. Um, I'm not saying no one has ever seen it. I'm just saying it's not... Given the amount of time I spent on it, it's very little. Time just not commensurate with the time and money. Anyway, what I'm saying is, she was so happy when she saw it. She kind of gasped. She went, "Oh, this is a beautiful example of what to do uh, in lockdown. It's a beautiful do nothing, and this is what you get." But it's you know, it's going to take a while, though. It's quite it's quite overgrown. It was like it was just the way she went in, almost like with a big cup. It was like you know those videos you see of deforestation where a bulldozer is just <laughs> coming at some trees, and there's an elephant nearby going, "No!" I could hear like the. Little elephants down there going no you're taking my natural habitat um, i'm not implying i have crabs it's a metaphor um, um yeah i like an australian waxer i do enjoy an australian waxer i used to have very i used to only have a tidy and a waxer once <laughs> said to me and i just said just anything outside the pants sort of thing and she went oh yeah you don't want koala ears <laughs> um, that is true that is a true story uh, she was the first one who ever gave me a Brazilian accidentally by, she kept on tidying she kept on going oh I just need to take a bit more off the back oh that's a bit no that's not it's crooked now um, and uh, at the end I swear this is true she said "Oh, I'm sorry love I'm going to have to charge you for the full Brazilian <laughs> it's all gone and I, I paid her and tipped and that's how I knew I was now British and not Australian um, <laughs> and it's a bit like paying someone to tidy your house and coming home and finding they've robbed the whole place blind and thinking well admittedly there is no clutter um <laughs> It's, that was what it was like. And pay... pay no, no, i would still pay you your hourly rate, sure. You've, still have, you've got my piano, but still. Um, so this is a bit of an I'm a feminist but. I'm a feminist but. Uh, my friend lives in Camden. You might know her, Ellen Jones. Uh, she's been on the podcast before. And Ellen was saying to me, hasn't the cat calling got worse during lockdown? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> she was like, you know, I just... It's just terrible. And I was like, yeah, it's really awful how people keep shouting at me you're incredibly sexually attractive um and I'm like of course I don't want any catcalling ever I don't want anyone to be catcalled but also I'm a socialist and if it is going to be distributed <laughs> I want it to be distributed equally I don't want if I was out with Ellen and they were all shouting at her and not shouting at me I'd be like horrified they were shouting at Ellen but also in, wrongly insulted I don't understand what the feeling is but I feel like I shouldn't be feeling it and then she said because I run and she said I think you know your breasts bounce when you run I think that's it and I was like oh my god that's it that's it it's fine I don't run I stroll um, but the next time I went out to Primrose Hill, I thought, I'll speed up a bit just to see. <laughs> I mean, it's been great for my cardio still to hear a single insulting compliment. Um, and that's good. I don't want it. I genuinely don't want it, though. I genuinely I, I hate it if it happens. Just don't want any, I don't want any woman to be heckled in the street for fucking walking or running or lying down or standing up. Or I don't want that for anybody. And I definitely don't want it for some women and not others. Um, (laughs) I have been dancing in lockdown. Um, I've been learning to dance. I've been talking about this. If anyone's been listening to the podcast we've been doing in Zoom... Mostly because I thought I could turn this whole lockdown experience into a dirty dancing montage. Uh, I thought it'll go faster if I'm dancing every day. So I've had a a dance teacher and she's been teaching me. I don't want to overstretch what I've done, but I have been dancing every single day for five months. So I don't want you to have very high expectations of my ability now. But I do want you to know I've been doing it every day for five months. So obviously I'm better than I was. And um, look, what I'm saying to you is my body rolls now are fucking adequate. And they're amazingly adequate. And, but my body didn't want to do that. Some things my body can do straight away. And my dance teacher will say, oh, you've just picked that up really quickly. And most people find that hard. And you've picked that up really quickly. And there are some things my body just doesn't want to do. And body rolls, like, honestly, I could be in tears over it. Because I was like... I don't understand because I'm doing exactly what you're doing but it doesn't look like anything because you can see yourself on Zoom when you're dancing because you can see her and you that's the idea of it so it's sort of like a mirror I just don't know it's just my body just didn't want to do that um, my body was going my body musical theatre style dancing kind of jazz and stuff like that it's happy to do that but with body rolls I think my body was just saying you're just not that sexy <laughs> we're not sexy stop that um, and so I she would be like Ugh. Uh, And I would be like, tits in out. Uh, uh, uh." This is not great podcast material, to be honest with you. Um, And my body was like, you're just not that sexy. We don't want to do that. Did you learn nothing from the run you went on? And look, I still believe. I still believe I'm highly desirable, and I want my hips to tell that story. So I'm pushing through. Um, The story my hips generally tell is we can bear children. Um, that is a lie. I'm a spectacularly barren. Um, I tried to, I was spectacularly barren. I tried to have children and, and failed, but now I am quite pleased about that because all my friends who have children in lockdown, um, are desperate they are desperate people now because nobody told them that one day the state could just go we're not having them anymore we don't want them at all now like no I had these on the agreement that you would take them pretty much 70% of the time no no we're not going to do that now and there's a really good reason you can't even fucking complain about it Even though we're a Tory government, we're doing the right thing by making you mind your children all of the time. But I only like my children if they're only here a little bit of the time. If they're all of the time. I hate my children. You're making me hate my children. Yeah, you should have thought of that, shouldn't you? So this is the upside of being spectacularly barren. Uh, At no point does anybody say, you've got to live with your podcast 24-7. You can just not do it. (laughs) Um, So if you do have children, I'm sorry for you. uh, But also, you know, listen, when they're older, they'll look back on this time and with you and they will have something to talk about with to their therapist. Um, Because as much as you hate being with them all the time and as much as you've discovered you don't really love your children as much as you thought you did. (laughs) I've had friends say that to me directly. I, I thought I would... I thought I loved this child so much. Turns out, no. I only love them when I'm seeing them between three and six. And then they go and watch TV or go on YouTube. And then I put them to bed. And I love the bit with the story time. I don't love the bit where I shout at them to get their shoes on. I love the bit with the story time. Between those hours, I don't really see them. So I don't know how I feel about them. Um, Now I know. And uh, the news that I have for you is your children feel the same. They thought they loved you. They've discovered no... They just hate school. Uh, Thank you very much. Uh, Please don't email telling me that you love your children and they love you. I know, it's a joke. Um, um, Stand up is a crude tool. Hello, Guilty Feminist. It's Deborah here, just letting you know we have a Guilty Feminist recording coming up, which is live. You can come to it. Now, we were delighted to be part of the new Normal Festival, nothing to do with the Instagram show of the same name. And it has been such a success that they've extended it. And we're doing another recording on the 31st of August at 7.30pm. Check out the Guilty Feminist website for tickets. And although the Edinburgh Fringe Festival has been sadly cancelled for 2020, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival has just started. Streaming from the 14th of August, you can see an amazing line of comedians, storytellers and theatre, including my award-winning show, Deborah Frances White, rolls the dice about finding my birth mother. I would love you to see it because I haven't done it since I started doing The Guilty Feminist and it's a very personal show to me. It's on Friday the 4th of September at 7.30pm London time and it will be live streamed. All proceeds from ticket sales will go towards financially supporting future young emerging artists and creatives with grants to help them make it to Edinburgh for the first time. Go to Sheddenborough.com for details and to book for my show and a host of others. Also, we've got brand new merch, um, mugs, T-shirts, etc. at GuiltyFeminist.com and all the proceeds uh, go to our POC for good things. And now back to the podcast.
1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com.
4: Moonpig.com.
0: Our guest today is a barrister specializing in criminal and family law. In her book, In Black and White, she tells her story of race and class in a broken justice system. Please welcome to the stage, the incredible Alexandra Wilson! Hello, Alexandra. So uh, the first thing I really want to say to you, Alexandra, is you're a lawyer, so your mother must be really proud of you. Um, I need to tell you, my <laughs> mother is also really proud of you. Um, yes, yeah, she, she wanted me to be a lawyer, and... and but do you know what? She never mentions it now. Uh, once every three months, and uh, that's I appreciate that. Uh, so she would have loved. She would have loved me to be in a wig, and I think it's a quite similar job to stand-up comedian. Really, mm. you have to weave a story, you have to entertain the audience, you have to be convincing. If you're
2: not convincing, you lose them. Yep. All of that sort of thing. But y- you, you have to work for terrible people, even though you know they're well. Done I mean,
5: all of mine are innocent, obviously. <laughs> uh,
0: I mean, how? Do you feel, I mean, because your book is about being a black woman in justice Mm. and about racial and gender lines and class lines in justice, do you ever feel like, oh, my God, sometimes I'm defending the patriarchy? Yeah,
5: absolutely. And, you know, it's it's something that my friends ask about a lot. And the way I kind of sit with that, you know, people are like, how do you sleep at night? And the honest answer is because I genuinely think that everyone deserves proper representation. Mm. And, you know, I have brothers, I have a dad, I have cousins and uncles who are men, and I just think if they were accused of something, I would want someone to be wholeheartedly representing them. So that's how I sleep at night, guys,
0: in case anyone's wondering. Wow, yeah. I mean, I suppose everyone deserves a fair trial. and It must be very personally times you must have to really compartmentalise, though. Yeah,
5: definitely. I, think I, mean, I suppose
0: that's the skill of being a lawyer. Yeah,
5: yeah. I mean, there, there have been some really tricky cases. So one of the cases that I, I personally found most difficult was uh, in prison already. He was applying uh, for release. And so I was representing him at a parole hearing. And that's really difficult because it's not one of those situations, you know, we always get asked, how do you feel representing someone who you think is guilty? And in this case, it was, well, I know he's guilty because, you know, he pleaded guilty and he served 20 years in prison. And so that was difficult before I got there. And then once I got there, it was just like any other client. You know, I got there and I was so worried the night before. I remember talking to my parents and... My mum was like, I oh, don't, don't know how you're doing that. She was like, you might want to think of a career change. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. mum, got
0: this far. Um, so your mum isn't proud of you. So No, this, exactly, exactly. <laughs> do you know what? It's really good to know that whatever you do, your mum's not proud of you. No, I feel yeah. like that's important information. That's what I'm taking away from this. <laughs> that is, that is what oh, you're my just God. I mean, I suppose you can't say, I'll take this case and not that case. That's no, no, you're not exactly, allowed to do it.
5: Exactly, exactly. So there's a cab rank rule, and literally like a cab rank. Um, so the first case that comes along and is of your level, you have to do it. I think it's a really good system because it means that it's not held against you if you represent certain clients because everyone understands that everyone has to represent anyone. When you get a bit more senior, it's a bit more, you know, they say it's cab rank, but it's not really. It's the the cases that are high profile and stuff.
0: It's more like calling a personal chauffeur.
5: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. No one's waiting for for the cab, you
0: know. I mean, we do want to live in a world where we have a good, strong legal justice system, and we do want to live in a world where everyone's represented, so I can't think of any other way around it. Mm. What's it like for you being a lawyer, because you're very young,
5: Yeah, I think sometimes that can be a good thing. Sometimes it can be a bad thing. Being young means that sometimes clients can kind of look at you and be like, where's my actual lawyer? You know, because they see you turn up and assume that you're like an intern or, you know, someone just helping out. But then once you get going, I think, you know, all of my clients so far, keep my fingers crossed, have felt fine about it. But also, that can play out in court. And one of the things that I quite like about wearing a wig and gown is because there's a lot of controversy about it at the bar, it's always being debated. But I quite like the fact that it puts everyone on a level playing field. It's kind of like a uniform. So, you know, you have that wig on, you have the gown on. And we're all equals. Mm -hmm. So for me, that's a really big thing. And maybe it's because I look different from a lot of other barristers that I quite like the fact that it creates... You know, for some people, it might not be a big deal because they'll be like, oh, I look like every other white man here. But for me, Mm -hmm. you know, it's It's a It's a costume
0: that says you must respect exactly me it's my turn to talk precisely and i've done the exams and i know yeah. what i'm doing yeah exactly i've never thought of it that way before yeah. mm. is there any part of you allison because i think it's a sort of similar job description to stand-up comedian in some way is there any part of you that fancies being in a courtroom drama and banging your fists <laughs> on tables and being, being objection. in objection you can't do that in britain There's you no can't, i can confirm
2: you can't can do you that not? No. is it anything you can shout can you go like pedo
0: no. <laughs> oh, no no you definitely cannot
2: pedo guilty <laughs> the crowd have like, said
5: wow no. i think there's a lot a lot less drama than people think you know you kind of see these american dramas and it's like people are going around the courtroom and it's all really really exciting yeah like, i mean in the no. uk it's literally like people are falling asleep it's like trying to keep the jury awake. Like that's the main thing, right? You know, that's oh, it's the...
2: not the something on tables. Oh
0: no, no,
5: no!
3: I've
2: been to a court before. Yeah, I've been actually twice. Once, oh dear. Once as a support for someone who didn't tell me the full details of what they were getting done for.
5: <laughs> that's not like my job. Yeah. <laughs> no one ever tells us.
2: And when, I got, when it got read right out, I was like, Oh, uh, <laughs> I've been misled. <laughs> objection (laughs) yeah just gonna pop out Um, and the other time is when i went to college we had a law module and and one of the requirements was we had to spend a day in court as a you know as a onlooker and uh, i picked a juicy day i was amazing so in ireland not that many murders happen and when there's like sex involved not not like i mean like i mean it was an affair no one actually... So what happened? I'll, te, I'll tell you what happened and then you can feel okay about it. Right. So... I don't think we're going to feel okay about this. I think... That, okay, okay. I think you... So this woman was married to this man. She wasn't happy. Right? And she just typed into Google, assassins. Right? <laughs> so... So she's having an old Google, and uh, she found a guy, (laughs) and they were having a chat, and he's like, yeah, I'll I'll do that for you, love, no problem. Uh, Just fly me over from Las Vegas, right? So she flew him over, and he was telling her, oh, I'm going to put stuff in his contact lenses, no one will know, all this, like, just filling her up with, like, I'm going to assassinate him so good. And... um, (laughs) nah he didn't like he just came over and said nah I'm not going to do this uh, thank you though for the flights and, <laughs> and then the police found out that she was looking for uh, an assassin and the husband was like I still love her like we're going to be together uh, I forgive you know I know I are you mean... sure this isn't a plot line for The Bold and the Beautiful May, I was living I was sitting there like thank you court Jesus like you know for bestowing this juicy court case with no oh, I murders. thought you were going to say she took him to court
0: for not doing the hit after he'd she'd paid for his trip from Las Vegas well the strange I'm thing I'm not was, sure you can see for that that you
2: yeah. can under <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> false pretenses yeah so it's like when Thomas Cook leaves you stranded. <laughs> and you're like, I'm going to get on to the Assassin's uh, Bureau about this. You know? going <laughs> a watchdog, Anne Robinson. She needs a murder. Um, so I was sitting there. And all these other people, they had flasks. They had lunch boxes. These people were, like, rigged out for a long day. Anyway, I was there. And I went to the toilet. This is the glamorous bit, right? And this is... <laughs> I went to the toilet in the court because I was like, you know, I like going to the toilet in government places. <laughs> <and> <laughs> what? Why? Because then I could be like, take that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> okay. Okay.
5: And also, I'm now I'm going to think about every time I go to the toilet. <laughs>
2: <laughs> take that society. <laughs> but also, like, they're just a more glamorous toilet. I feel, you know, they've got the government funding. It's going to be soap like it's always good so I was there in the toilet but there was this police woman guarding the other toilet I was like what's going on here I went in and I, I could hear like I could hear tss, right guess who came out just a person the woman that like uh, wh- what do I call her like uh, the defendant defendant yeah that's the technical term she came out I was like I've just heard the piss of evil do you know I was like can't believe this did she go down? Oh, that, yeah. This is the weird thing. I'm like, I'll chat with you after. So she went down for conspiracy to murder, right? The guy? Nah. So I'm like, who's she in a conspiracy with herself? Because if he's not found guilty... Yeah, yeah. What? And I was smoking at the time, and he, the other defendant went out for a cigarette, and I was totally listening. I was like, he said nothing, though. Uh, but... <laughs> God, it's so film noir, this Isn't whole it? thing. I wow. know. And a lady gave me her sandwiches. It was the best day. Uh, <laughs> this is a phenomenal sorry.
0: story. <laughs> it, it's hard to think that your book contains anything more exciting. Uh, but
2: I'm sure it does. Next title for your next book, Piss of Evil. Okay? Yeah. <laughs>
5: My publisher's over there, so yeah. him okay.
2: <laughs> We'll get a mini-series based on it. We'll get, like, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, you know, the whole thing. I mean, in a very real way, good luck
0: pitching Phoebe Waller-Bridge piss of evil. But listen, she did Broadchurch, so you don't know. Um, can I just ask, backstage you were talking about some of the experiences that you have and things that are said to you. Do you think it's uh, youth, gender, race? And what kind of things are said to you?
5: Yeah, I think it's a real mix. I think the bar still has a long way to go. I remember there was a case where I was still a pupil barrister, so a trainee barrister, and I was on a case with loads of senior barristers, and, they, you know, they were all men, and I remember the person that I was shadowing was, you know, giving his speech to the jury, and as part of what he was saying, he was saying, you know, the evidence is circumscribed by... And this other male barrister next to me leans over and he goes you know, I'm not circumcised.
2: And I was like,
5: he's like, I'm Catholic.
2: Oh God, that does sound like And I, I was
5: literally like, okay. <laughs> I just turned around and it's like, creepy comments like that.
2: I can, that can I just yeah, say young like, women as, as a part. Catholic, that's like, there's no, <laughs> there's no link. <laughs> there's nothing in that for you. Like, can I say, you'll just get a load of guilt. You know what I mean? <laughs> What you don't,
0: you're not implying the the guilt travels on the foreskin.
3: <laughs>
0: I'm not entirely sure how this conversation has taken this turn.
2: This one, very that. That's maybe your third book. The guilt travels on the foreskin. No, after, after the piss of evil, the guilty foreskin.
0: It's a tragedy. The Guilty Foreskin could be a great spin-off for us, though. It really could. We just hired two uncircumcised blokes to just do it and let, and franchise it. There we go. Yeah. That's perfect. This is, this is, these are just <laughs> suggestions. Not all of them are gold. What? Um, <laughs> um, so your book itself, um, it's titled In Black and White and it's about racial and class injustice, presumably gender injustice. Can you tell us a little bit about what's in your book?
5: Yeah, of course. It's about my experiences kind of, you know join in the bar and my first year as a pupil barrister and so in the book i talk a bit about my personal experiences kind of being in a profession that's still very you know middle class very white it's seen as very elitist it, and it well it is because it's so expensive to break into like the training course just by way of example is 19000 pounds it's a lot <laughs> um and you know and then up until this year your first year of training you could be paid as low as 12000 for the year. So, you know, there's, your training course is a lot more expensive than what you then actually get paid. It has now gone up to 18000 but did you notice that's still just under the course? Um, so it's kind of going through my experience with that first year, some of my cases and some of the experiences that I've had, some of the clients that I've come into contact with, and the kind of aim was really to give a new perspective on the justice system. You know, I think a lot of us aren't acquainted with the justice system until it's too late in inverted commas. So sometimes it'll be that, you know, actually you've been caught up in something. It might be that you're going through a divorce. It might be that your kids are taken into care. There's so many ways that people are kind of brought into the justice system but they don't know much about it until they're there. Mm. Um, And so my my whole thing was to try and make it a bit more accessible, to shout out another author. The Secret Barrister has done a brilliant job. I don't know if anyone's read The Secret Barrister's book. Mm -hmm. Absolutely brilliant job. But obviously they're anonymous, so (laughs) you don't know who they are. Uh, And mine's kind of... The Banksy of law. The Banksy of law, exactly, exactly. (laughs) Mine's quite different in that you very much know who I am and my experiences are very much told from being a young black woman who was not from a privileged background and... Yeah, hopefully that's a good summary of my book. That sounds great. That sounds
0: great. (laughs)
5: Thanks, everyone. can
0: Can you tell us a story from the book that kind of highlights some kind of injustice that you see that is motivated by some kind of identity?
5: I was representing a defendant, and he was a young black boy. And I got to court that morning, and we were in the the robing room it's called the robing room it's kind of where you go to get changed because you don't go to court in your wig and gown (laughs) otherwise people might be like what's on earth um so yeah so you you go and get changed in the robing room and generally barristers will have a bit of a chit chat about their cases you know sometimes you'll ask for a bit of advice on something sometimes it'll just be a general chit chat and quite often the topic is who your judge is because obviously as i'm sure you can imagine who your judges can make quite a difference to the case, and so. I was in the robing room talking about my judge. I didn't know this judge. I was asking someone else, you know, what's this judge like? And the other barrister said to me, "Oh, you know, this judge is all right, but you know, you should be glad that the racist judge retired." I was like, "What?" (laughs) And he was like, "Yeah, like you know, you'd have had no luck with him." And for me, that really hit me that that was even like a a normal thing to say, you know, that that people were considered racist judges and that was accepted. And I I say accepted, I don't think anyone, you know, endorsed it, but it was was something that people knew and were aware of and were just operating alongside. And for me, that was, yeah, that really hit me. And I was like, how unfair is that?
0: Mm -hmm. How do we make law fairer? Because if you've got a course that's 19 grand and then your entry salary is very low, obviously if you're from a family who doesn't have that kind of money and they're concerned will you ever earn this back it's hard to get a pupillage if you are uh black or brown and you you know very recently they're like oh the racist judge has just retired therefore that's still endemic in the system like what can we do to make it fairer because all of that not just that that's all horrible and unfair but that plays out into why so many black and brown people are convicted so more readily what can we do about it
5: so I think I have to breathe before that one because you're right, all of that is so true. The fact that we see these huge systemic injustices play out in, you know, how many people are being arrested, the conviction rates, all of that is massively, massively impacted by the fact that actually the people representing and the people making the decisions are not representative of the population. What can we do about it? I mean, in terms of financially, I think one of the big things is that there are scholarships but people don't know about them. And so like, one of the things that I really try and do is I try and improve visibility within the profession so that people know this stuff. I didn't do law at university. I did um, politics, philosophy, and economics. So I had to do a conversion course. So I had to pay another 11,000 before the 19,000. And I was already in huge debt from university because my parents didn't pay for me to go to university. I had to get out loans. So for that 11,000, I had to take out loans. I had to work. I did the course full time, but then worked three days a week. So I had to literally just catch up during like you know nights and evenings and stuff and then I found out that there were scholarships and I was like why did no one tell me like <laughs> you know and then I applied for one and my 19,000 was covered by a scholarship and it, it's made a huge difference there's no way I would have been able to just scrape together 19,000 pounds you can't just go to the bank oh excuse me can I have 19,000 pounds but my salary is going to be 12,000 next year and it's not even guaranteed because we're self-employed so You know, I think people need to know what's out there. I think that's only going to come by barristers becoming a bit more visible and barristers telling, you know, aspiring barristers what's out there. And we need to do that in a bit more of a focused way, not going, you know, to Eton, like, or Westminster or St Paul's, you know, those nice privileged private schools and being like, oh, yeah, come and join us. Here are all the scholarships available. We need to actually go to, like, inner city schools. We need to go to deprived areas. We need to not just go to Oxford and Cambridge. And I say that as someone who went to oxford but you know we need to go to other universities and actually talk to people and say this is what's available this is how you do it and then i think people might actually start to consider it because it's a huge risk i completely agree mm.
0: i think that's a <laughs> yeah that's a great point yeah Well, I'm sure your book will go some way to doing that because young people will see it and hear about it and go, oh, well, if you can do it, I can do it too. And representation is everything. I mean, I'm very admiring of your generation, that you're only 25, you're already a barrister, and you've got a book out. Um, Yeah, uh, did you get the time for that? I (laughs) I mean, admiring, uh, also a bit irritated um, by it. There's... You know, and you're wearing a really cool jumpsuit. So in a very real way, slow the fuck down. But uh, no, don't, don't, don't slow down. Don't slow down. This. It's, it's amazing you're doing it. But if you are listening to this podcast and you're a young person and you're in any way interested in the law, you're good at arguing, you're somebody who cares about justice and you're thinking, but that's not for me. That's all done in big palatial buildings with people in wigs and gowns and they wouldn't have me. I wouldn't know how to get there. what Alexandra is saying is, this is for you. And honestly, it's not going to get any better until we have more black and brown judges. Now, if you watch American television, you would be uh, forgiven for thinking every single judge in the world was a black man or a black woman, because it's like the diversity hire. It's like, oh, we forgot to put any black people in this show. There's a judge. She read the judge a black woman. Do you, oh, you see that? It's like I watched the- a
2: sitcom with S Club Seven, and uh, yeah, there was a black judge in that. It's all. It's always a, a sitcom with <laughs> S Club they got Seven off because they sang a song, which I don't think will work in court, would it?
0: I don't think so. No. Have you heard? Alison's glitter baby song, though, because I think that would turn. I might the try judge. Yeah, yeah,
5: I think that might it's a persuade any judge. Song. <laughs> if I've got um, a difficult case.
0: There was a boy band song. The sort of love in the first degree. Oh, do you know that, guys? Yeah, love the first, what's Guilty a girl like of love in the first
2: degree? Oh, with yeah. blue, all rise. One oh. for the money and the free ride, it's two for the last Didn't I alright somebody turn it? Alright, I rest my case Woo!
0: To- <laughs> Yeah just doing a small seated body roll I was inspired um,
5: I wish we had music as we walked into court just, yeah. you know that like boxes like, as the barrister comes in we just have Blue or eyes playing in the background would oh, it yeah. would be, It'd so
2: be funny. amazing like wrestling when you bring in like a surprise witness oh my god here he comes <laughs> <laughs> it's the man who was two doors down he heard everything, you know? <laughs> everything. <laughs> yeah.
0: have you ever done a case with a hitman?
5: (laughs) No but, but recently, uh, that hitman story was great, but recently, I don't know if anyone's seen in the news, there's been a, um, I think it's really interesting, I hope everyone else does, Um, there's been a huge hack of an app, basically, called EncroChat, it's like whatsapp really um, like an encrypted service that's on people's phones Ooh. and people have been talking on those platforms about hitmans hitmen, mans. what was it hitmen sorry we probably Actually, I'm, I'm a barrister here hit
2: person
0: hit, hit, hit person. person hit I'm person that's, that's what I was trying to say representation women, women that they can, can, can do anything you can do anything I'm a feminist but I said <laughs> hitman and I really meant hit person I'm hit so person <laughs> hit human being thank
5: you <laughs> Uh-huh. You know, and, and about drugs and, it's, and it's, it's fascinating because people are talking as though no one will ever find these conversations because it's so encrypted and now it's been hacked and so that one of the most common things was you know you were saying about all these chats with a hip yeah. person and you know <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be hearing loads more cases soon I think
2: really? Yeah. oh I'm so excited I can't even imagine <laughs>
0: not liking gonna- someone enough to go <laughs> wouldn't you just leave them i mean i suppose there's some people that you can't leave there are some unlievable people that yeah you'd have to be in fear of your own life but even then i don't know how i would i would just start googling but now it's made really put me off because i'm a big sondheim fan and it's really put me off googling assassins the musical because is that how they find you
2: where you're like assassins cheap and then you, yeah exactly
0: uh, two for one deal
2: two for one i f- i think like like people that are frustrated should learn to subtweet about people instead of getting assassins. I do it all the time. <laughs> do you know? I'm like, oh, some people, they're just so annoying, and that takes away my will to kill.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm fascinated that he was going to put something in someone's contact lenses. I've never
2: heard of that. Yeah, I wonder like yeah, how that yeah, yeah, she wrote
0: plot or uh, Columbo.
2: May it was yeah, it was funny. Do you know what the newspapers called her? they called her Lion Eyes because that was her you know this eagle song she was a fan of the eagles and of murder and um, she that was her pseudonym on the internet was, was Lion Eyes. Eyes I think it was 69 but maybe I'm just throwing that on myself you can't hide those line eyes yeah yeah. yeah. you can't hide your attempt at murder either can you no as it turns out you cannot (laughs) no he's Um, waiting for her she's still in prison he's a great (laughs) husband Uh, (laughs) it sounds very Tiger King to me Um,
0: is there anything you came to say to Um, leave on the table that you didn't get to say
5: the only thing I'd say is that if there are any young people listening um, I do try and put lots of like sources of you know scholarships and information and things like that on social media so I'm My social media uh, handle is Essex Barrister because I'm from Essex. (laughs) Nice and creative.
0: (laughs) Essex Barrister. It's better than line eyes. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Great. And that's your, is that your Twitter and Instagram? Twitter and Instagram, yeah. Okay, Essex Barrister. Perfect. Got anything to plug, Alison?
2: Oh, yes. Uh, So my social media is at Alison Spittle on Instagram and on Twitter. And I got a new podcast called Wheel of Misfortune that I co-present with Fern Brady. And it's all about the cringy, horrible things that we laugh at. So it will be funerals, uh, <laughs> mental breakdowns. Uh, what else did we do? Drugs. Oh, we did one on drugs. It was good fun. So uh, not on drugs. Like the subject. Um, yeah. I'm going to come and guest on this podcast. <gasps> oh, my
0: God. Yes, you are. Yeah, yeah. So uh, check out Wheel of Misfortune with Alison Spittle and Fern Brady. I'm also doing a show called Sheddenborough. Uh, where Francesca Moody, who produced the live show of Fleabag, the original theatre show, is putting a shed on stage at the Soho Theatre and another one at the Traverse Theatre in Edinburgh, and then you can watch all the shows on Zoom or some similar platform. And I'm doing a show that I did before I was doing The Guilty Feminist called Deborah Francis White Rolls the Dice, and it's the story about how I found my biological mother. And I will be doing that so you can live stream that, and all of the money doesn't go to me. Uh, None of the money comes to me. Uh, it
2: goes to... Why are you talking about that like it's a selling point? As if like... Well, because I just
0: want people to know this is charitainment. Okay. And, uh, the money... So similarly to Alexandra wanting bursaries for barristers, the money's going to go to new and emerging artists to have their first break in Edinburgh, and hopefully next year, if Edinburgh's back up and running next year. Edinburgh, the F- Edinburgh Festival, I should say. I always feel so sorry for the residents of Edinburgh because comedians talk about Edinburgh like it's Brigadoon and go, when Edinburgh's over, they stand in Edinburgh going, when Edinburgh's over, and I'm like, it's not over, we're just leaving. It's a city, it's a famous city. Uh, so hopefully Edinburgh uh, next year, or if not, the year after. com, check it out, there's loads of amazing shows. Alexandra, I hope you do inspire a younger generation of barristers, uh, young people who are from backgrounds who... Uh, wouldn't necessarily think that they were able to walk into that kind of field and i hope that uh, more scholarships are made available and that your story inspires others thank you so much for coming on the show today please give it up for alexandra that's alexandra wilson and her book is in black and white Now, uh, we'd like to finish with a musical act. Please welcome to the stage the wonderful Amara Kaur.
6: Hello, everyone. Um, thank you so much for having me again. Thank you, Deborah, for inviting me again. Yeah, as you might have seen, like, I just wiped down my microphone with a biodegradable wipe. Um, I'm one of those annoying people that was a germaphobe before the pandemic, <laughs> so like all the pre- all my friends take the piss out of me, and then the pandemic happens, and I'm like, I
4: told you so. Um,
6: yeah, so I've got all this down. Like I just remembered the wipes and everything. So um, yeah, what's been happening in the pandemic? Um, I'm really grateful for being alive. I'm grateful for working for a mental health charity through the pandemic. As you can imagine, it's probably very intense for people in the country. But um, yeah, I had this amazing opportunity to be on the new version of Bob Marley's iconic song, One Love, recently, alongside the Marley family, um, alongside musicians from around the world and musicians from conflict zones. And um, that was in support of UNICEF's um, COVID support program that they're running right now. So if you have the chance, go and listen to that version because every stream benefits UNICEF and children around the world um and um yeah i've just been really grateful to be able to use music and um my voice during the pandemic i think i've just always been influenced by protest music and it runs through my writing um so the song i'm going to sing today is called bloodline and i actually wrote this because it was just an expression of how i was feeling and it's only when i put it out in the world i realized that my music is inherently political just because of where I come from, because I come from a family that has experienced, ancestors that have experienced colonization. Um, and when, the way I write it just comes through. And um, this song, everyone relates to it in a very different way. I've had people from mixed heritage backgrounds relate to it, um, people from similar backgrounds to myself, and people that I just didn't imagine would relate to this song. But today I want to dedicate this song to the people of Lebanon and Beirut, because I can't even imagine the kind of injustice that they felt um, and are feeling right now. So um, this is a song called Bloodline. You can find it everywhere. And um, I've kind of mixed it up a little bit as well, so you'll hear some other things. Um, So I'm a Punjabi folk singer, but I do jazz and soul. And I also play an instrument called the Serengi, um, which I didn't bring today, because it's a one-mic gig. (laughs) Um, And I hope you can connect with this song and this version of the song in some way. Thanks.
4: So long, there are endless migrations within me. We've tried so hard to belong. Reincarnations of nations live in me. I've created borders I cannot enter. I am an earthquake with no epicenter, chasing a life that doesn't want
7: me, it doesn't want me. It's still running, running, running.
4: betrays us here on this land they call me a traitor we are the victims and the crime scene I am a people forever in hiding where is the place that gives us shelter Where are the sacred spaces I can enter? Chasing a life that doesn't want me.
7: It doesn't want me. It's still running, 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 running in my bloodline. It's still.
4: I Am an earthquake with no epicenter Chasing a life that doesn't bother me. He
7: doesn't want
4: so much. Amrit,
0: um, you've got a new album out. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, Where
6: we so, get it? Yeah, so aside from um, the one love being out, I've got a single out called Blind. And the music video is out, and it's made by an all-woman crew. Um, So directed by Ramani a good friend. And yeah, um, go and watch it. Go and support um, women in film, especially. Um, They're all underdogs that are so, so talented. And we worked really hard last October, and it's out. (laughs) How many months later? (laughs) On um, Instagram, I'm Ms. Amrit Kaur. So M-S dot Amrit Kaur. K-A-U-R. K-A-U-R. And on Twitter, I'm Amrit K L O H I A. But just find me on Instagram, it's easier.
0: <laughs> Amrit, thank you so much. That was just incredible. Thank you. You have been listening to The Guilty yeah. Families with me, never brought to Guest co host Alison's special our various special Alexandra Wilson, with music from Amrit Kaur. The recording today was Chris Sharp. The guild's the theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge. The producer was Tom Solinski the Sponsor Shop. Thanks to Sean, Jordan, and everyone at the New Normal Festival, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and episode episodes, visit galtfeminist.com. Uh, I'm a feminist, uh, but I've just realised um, I'm on the wrong page. <laughs> Here we go. Um,